1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much as always for being here. It is another Thursday Arsecast and much like last week, the reason I'm putting this podcast out today rather than sort of record on a Thursday and put it out early Friday, as I usually do, is simply the pace at which things are happening this week. So you could record something, it could be great, and I'm not saying it would be out of date, but there might be developments which, by the time the podcast goes out, people might expect you to cover in it, and, you know, there are only so many hours I can stay awake. I need to sleep sometimes. I know that's quite selfish of me, but there you go. Nevertheless, it just means that you get a podcast a little bit earlier than you would normally get it. And when things calm down a bit, we can return to the schedule as normal. Uh, Just to let you know that... Uh, We will be talking a bit about Kai Havertz in this podcast because his signing was one of the things that was official this week. Over on Patreon right now, you can hear myself and Phil Costa discuss Kai Havertz, the player he was in Germany, the player he was at Chelsea, the player that he might be at Arsenal. There's a little dabble into some of his uh, statistics, strengths and weaknesses, and all the rest you can hear that right now on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blog and we will have one of those dedicated podcasts for every new signing that we make this summer. So that's something you can get your teeth into. Before we get on to all the bits that have happened this week, and there has been a lot, it's been a bit fraught and a bit uh, up in the air at times, but it does look as if things are, are moving in a very positive direction, staying with Kai Havertz. I did see someone retweet a a video from earlier in the year where he was on the beach with his dogs, and he has a German Shepherd along with, uh, I think, a Retriever and maybe a Lab and another small little white dog, but he's got a German Shepherd, and as somebody who has two German Shepherds, I've connected with this on a very fundamental level. I'm not saying he is now my favorite player, but it's just very easy to get me on board if you've got the right kind of dogs. Well, any dogs. I love all dogs, but a German Shepherd in particular is going to put you well and truly into my good books. Uh, So he posted a picture of his dogs uh, on his Instagram as well. They're all wearing Arsenal shirts. Well, the three big dogs are, anyway, uh, the little one. Uh, Not sure he can get a shirt to fit a dog of, of that size, but the German Shepherd is there standing, looking at the camera, wearing his Arsenal shirt. Looks the business, if you ask me. So I look forward to more of Kai Havertz's dogs and, of course, Kai Havertz himself when he, you know, steps onto the pitch. But mostly, mostly the dogs. Right. Let's get on with the show and with me this week to talk about Kai Havertz, Declan Rice, Ethan Waneri and lots more besides. It's Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis.
2: Hello, Andrew. It's been, we don't usually go this long without speaking. So I've, I hope you've been doing well.
1: I've been doing fine. How is summer treating you so far?
2: Just fine. Yeah. Just fine. It was watching the ashes. It was a, a, a bleak day yesterday. And uh, today's been much, much better at the time of recording.
1: At the time of recording, uh, this is Thursday afternoon. I have explained to people that we're going to put the podcast out today, Thursday, just because of the sheer pace of of information, making things potentially out of date. I I have not been watching any of the Ashes. Uh, (laughs) It's not that I don't like cricket. I do enjoy a bit of the old one-day stuff, but it's a hell of a commitment to sit down and... Uh, and watch five days of cricket. I know it doesn't always go uh, that long, but uh, yeah, I guess it's a big tradition for for you guys.
2: Yeah, well, I'm sure there are American listeners now thinking like five days, what? Um, And the number of times I've come across people, including my wife, uh, in my life, and I try and explain to them that I do indeed sit down for five entire days to watch one match. (laughs) Or you you buy tickets and you go to one... Day. Yeah, one day. 20% you, of a
1: sporting fixture.
2: Yeah, like you go home and you have no idea what the final result is, um, you know, which is so incredibly satisfying as you could imagine. It is a, uh, it is a quite a unique sport in that regard. But,
1: you know, you can go home and watch the rest on TV mostly. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Let's talk about Arsenal making their first signing of the summer. Kai Havertz from Chelsea. Is this one where you kind of had to come to terms with it a little bit? I think most people, or many people, anyway, most would be wrong. But I, you know, I got the sense it was like, oh, not another guy from Chelsea. <laughs> uh, kind of tired of buying players from them. Can we not give them any money and watch them crash and burn, and maybe their entire foul organization might be, uh, you know, put into the ground where it belongs? But. You know, you, he's obviously a player that you would have watched quite a bit in Germany during his time there as a, an avid watcher of Borussia Dortmund and, uh, you know, uh, well knowledgeable when it comes to the Bundesliga, you know, his time at Bayer Leverkusen, he was a very highly rated player. So did what happened to him at Chelsea or did his underwhelming time at Chelsea uh, change your opinion of him and, and how did you feel when we were first linked with him?
2: Uh, I was very surprised when we were first linked with him, if we want to start there. That Mm -hmm. felt like a link that kind of came out of nowhere and you'd seen that, um, I think, Real Madrid had kind of been linked because it had come out that Karim Benzema was leaving. Bayern Munich were kind of being linked because it was clear from last season they never really replaced Robert Lewandowski and they were going to need a striker. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, like Kai Havertz was sort of suddenly on the market and a couple of really big clubs being linked with him. And then I did feel like we came out of nowhere. Uh, I don't think anyone was... I think people were maybe looking for a midfielder to be linked. And we were already being linked with midfielders, of course. Mm. I'm sure we'll talk about some of them later. Uh, We were being linked with different midfielders. We were being linked with possibly multiple midfielders. We all sort of knew Granite Jacker would would likely be on the way out of the club, but I don't think anyone had Kai Havertz on their radar because of where we've seen him play for Chelsea as a player that we might be linked with. So I, th- I think at first it was surprising, uh, a little bit confusing because you sort of thought, "Do we need that right now?" um But definitely, the more I thought about it, I very much warmed to the idea and and i'm really excited to see him in an arsenal shirt yeah i think as you mentioned a few really successful years as he emerged in german football and in the bundesliga and i would be reluctant to judge the quality of any footballer based on how the last couple of years have gone for pretty much everybody at chelsea
1: yeah i mean that there is that you know a rising tide lifts all boats and a a really, uh, I don't know what the opposite of that is, uh, you know, a sinking tide with, yeah, you know, that's it. But Chelsea have been a basket case, obviously, and it is hard to make individual assessments on players, particularly when I think Havertz has been used in a role which doesn't necessarily suit him. He might have been basically the best guy they had to do that, which might say more about Chelsea squad building than, than Kai Havertz's qualities as a centre forward or, or a striker. What What's interesting, I think, is... The the little snippet from Mikel Arteta in his welcome video or his welcome, welcome uh, message on the official website where he said, you know, he, he's a very versatile player. Ding, ding, ding. There's an Arteta uh, box ticked. We love the V word when it comes to Mikel Arteta, but um he's going to add strength and quality to our midfield, I think is what he said, uh, paraphrasing. And there has been so much talk about the left eight, who is going to replace Granite Xhaka? Who is going to do what Granite Xhaka did, but do it better? That's what I think everyone has been looking for. You know, you can be very, very impressed with what what Xhaka did last season on one hand, and still think, well, you know, maybe if you get a different kind of player in that in that position, you could get more goals and more assists. So, do you, does this, you know, feel like Arteta looking at maybe the Bayer Leverkusen Kai Havertz? And what he did from central attacking midfield positions and thinking, that's kind of what I need in my team, even if that's not what he's done at Chelsea. And, and you know, there's a sort of recency bias, isn't there? Of course, when a player comes to the Premier League and is a bit underwhelming, uh, it's easy to forget maybe what they've done previously in their career in
2: a team that might be set up,
1: you know, in a way that gets more out of them.
2: Yeah, just look how good Willian was for Fulham this season. <laughs> day and
1: night. That really um, isn't the example that's going to give anybody any <laughs> comfort, Lewis. Come on.
2: Um, you know, I, yeah, I, d- I do think that there's there's that element of expecting something different in a, in a different environment. I mean, Chelsea finished 12th. I don't know what you expect the guy playing up front for the team finishing 12th to usually do. I think Mm. they finished 12th. It might've been lower in the end. I stopped paying attention to them in like November. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was a, it was a horrible season for everybody at Chelsea. And then Kai Havertz was playing up front and they were playing five at the back a lot. And then he's playing up front on his own and he's not really a striker, not like a a number nine. And, Mm. you know, you've got two sort of midfielders or Raheem Sterling and and maybe Mason Mount around him. So, yeah, I wouldn't judge him on that. I think if we go back if we go back a couple of years, it's sort of the end of or sort of two thousand um two thousand twenty one, sorry, mm-hmm. and twenty twenty two. And I remember an interview Michel Arteta talked about sort of looking ahead to the the next season and said we had like no goals from midfield this season. And he was talking like Xhaka and Thomas Partey and and Martin Odegaard maybe had chipped in with a couple, but he was really having a go. There'd been no goals from Mm. midfield. And if you want to win things and if you want to compete, and we were a million miles away at that point, you've got to be scoring a bunch of goals from midfield. And he's eked 15 goals out of Martin Odegaard last season since then. Mm -hmm. He has, I mean, who would have imagined there would be a role that would exist that would turn Granit Xhaka into the level of goal threat that he was last season? Mm. Was it, I can't remember if, was it seven Premier League goals? Seven Premier League goals, nine in all competitions, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. So... I keep seeing that seven and that nine, and not remembering if the seven became nine on the final of the season when he scored those two goals against no. Wolves. But, right, seven Premier League goals, I think seven assists as well. Who on this planet would have thought that Granite Xhaka could provide seven goals and seven assists in a Premier League campaign? You know, no penalties, no free kicks, nothing. So, I think that speaks for more than anything, judging a player based on or, or taking the context of their role and the team into account when you are going to judge a player. And Granit Xhaka played in a role, I think, last season that was built for getting him in the box and making him a threat from that position. And, and Kai Havertz, on the other hand, was playing in a team that was just sort of a mishmash of ideas and players and was you know a lot of nothingness, really. I think if you put a player with Kai Havertz talent and you look at his goal record in Germany just as an example and even... To a much lesser extent, his record at Chelsea isn't hideous. If you if you looked at his record at Chelsea compared to Xhaka, for mm. example, in previous campaigns, you would obviously pick one out as the more prolific goal scorer. Um, you know, putting Kai Havertz into that role is something that you know you would expect to see the ten to fifteen goals that you've got from Smith Rowe and Odegaard in the last two seasons playing in a similar role. I think so. Yeah, I think Havertz is a player that doesn't lead the line necessarily well i think his movement and and he does move a lot phil wrote about that a little bit in mm. the in the profile piece on the website his movement's fantastic but if you go back and watch the goals for Leverkusen, and a lot of the not just the goals but the chances he got for Leverkusen, he's arriving late and you you just don't get that luxury when you're playing up front there was uh, a former guardiola assistant juan malillo uh, in uh, for the Athletic during the World Cup and he talked about talking to his players and always saying that the person who arrives late in the box is the, players, uh, the last in the box is the person in the best position and I think the best example of that is Martin Odegaard this season that was something mm. he really added to his game and how many of those 15 Premier League goals came because he did arrive in the box and, and the two against Chelsea for example it's if you go watch Havertz from when he was at Leverkusen that's the chances those are where the goals come from is those movements and he's good in the air too Mm. And you think of that left eight position and some of the chances Xhaka maybe got last season, and you think of Erdegaard and Saka on the right-hand side cutting back in into their left foot and those looped crosses over to the far post to have a player who whose movement is excellent, who's good in the air playing on that side of the midfield, I think that we'll see plenty of chances coming from there as well. Well, that's
1: it. I was going to mention, you know, the the aerial threat because we're not a team with a great deal of that beyond sort of set pieces, you know, where we've got big centre-halves and Gabriel will will nut you home a few goals every season. We know that. Saliba, you know, got a couple last season. Um, But we haven't really got that in the forward line per se. And I'm not saying Kai Havertz is your traditional target man. He is not the German Tony Cascarino. That's far from what I'm saying in case anybody's getting the wrong end of the stick here, but he is somebody who scored 30 odd percent of the goals that he got for Chelsea came from headers. Um, so it is a different level of threat and it does feel a little bit like Arteta trying to develop maybe, um, evolve the team in different Mm -hmm. ways to add different kinds of threats because if we think about next season we think about you know when teams are sitting down to think about right we're playing Arsenal what are they going to do well we know Zinchenko now he's going to invert into midfield and he's going to you know maybe leave a bit of space there so we got to watch where Zinchenko goes but you know maybe Giving the team something a little bit different in a key position, not do exactly what Xhaka does, but to, to, to bring something slightly different to it, is a way of offsetting the things that people already know about Arsenal, that you are going to have to continuously, particularly if you want to improve, and if you want to win the, win the Premier League, if you want to consolidate your place in the top four, whatever way you want to look at it, you can't just do the same thing. In every game, there has to be a measure of tactical flexibility and tactical evolution season on season on season. And, and I, I think this guy, as much as I had some... Um, misgivings I suppose based on you know I think the fee is probably a bit steep but you know Mm -hmm. we can talk about fees now in a minute because we're in the market for a hundred million pound player (laughs) so in in that context perhaps it looks a bit more reasonable but you know as somebody who did have some misgivings about oh no Kai Havertz he doesn't really convince me um he's obviously convinced me with his dogs and his German Shepherd um of course but um You know, you you can sort of look at the player and look at his qualities and you think about the kind of personality that Mikel Arteta is, what he will demand from uh, all of his players, not just Kai Havertz as a new signing, but what he'll demand of his team and thinking of ways to cause new kinds of threat to the opposition, you can see why this Mm -hmm. is a player that is obviously of of, of big interest to him and that he has convinced the club to splash out a, a fairly healthy fee on.
2: Yeah, I mean like I think there are two things that are really interesting with Havertz and then like one concern and I'd say the you know when you talk about his movement generally there are kind of two types of runs I would say like one like for a striker for an attacking player sometimes you run because you want the ball and sometimes you run to create space for other players mm-hmm. and I think there was a lot of the latter at Chelsea and when he's played for Germany as well in the last year or so because he's played up front and as that last man, you make a run in behind you know, into the channels or something. And you don't really want that ball because you're just sort of running towards the corner flag if you do get there. And you've got two defenders right up behind you. But you open the spaces for other players. And I think we saw that was effective enough when Granite Jacker was doing it. hmm now, if Granite Jacqueline can drag a player out of position, then Kai Havertz will drag a player out of position, or maybe two, because he's more of a threat. He's more of a gifted player. He's and quick as well,
1: isn't he? He's pretty quick, he's, quick he, for a yeah, big he's guy. No, yeah.
2: no slouch, yeah. Like he doesn't. I think because of his size, he doesn't look maybe that fast, but he's definitely not slow. And you know, you've got that rotation with Jesus as he drops deep. But as I say, if if Jaco made those runs and it helped open space or exploit space mm-hmm. for Odegaard, for Jesus, for Saka and Smith-Rowe and Martinelli, then defense is going to be a lot more worried seeing Kai Havertz make those runs. And he'll burst in with intent as well. You know, when Jesus does drop deep, Jesus is the one who creates some space and attracts a defender. Havertz will make that run in behind wanting the ball, not just making the run kind of to pull someone out of space. I think that's the way we play. When you want to break a defense down, I think that's really important. I think the movement, the interaction between your attacking players is is one of two crucial things. And the other one for me is is the thing that Mikel has banged on about since he arrived, and it's just raising the technical level of the squad. And for any concerns people can have about Kai Havertz, you can get up any YouTube video or whatever, you will find endless content of him trapping a ball and sticking it through someone's legs and turning on it and holding two or three defenders off and wriggling his way through them. I think that's not like... we want. Every signing we make, I think you can look at it as technically this seems like an upgrade on, you know, even if they're worse at some things or better at others, every time we add someone, the technical level seems to be the thing that we will not negotiate on. And mm. in, in in those terms, I think Kai Havertz is another enrichment for the squad, obviously in terms of depth as well, if you're thinking if, say... Gabriel Jesus can't play a few games next season or because Saka at some point and you move Jesus out wide then it's Havertz coming in over in Ketia maybe or Trossard and I think that's a a bump up in the in the level if if Tros uh, Havertz is going to play further forward instead of in midfield. Mm-hmm. The question for me is probably and I think that's something Arsenal need to work on with him is mm, sort of don't want to say the word but almost mentality like I think you mentioned he's a big guy I think he's 6'2 he's got this huge frame big arms and long legs and he should be able to hold players off but he should be able to bully players and I think Kai Havertz and the the reason that a lot of people maybe haven't been impressed when he's been at Chelsea and he's come to the Premier League is at times he's been bullied a little bit I think I think he's well he's 24 now and he still maybe plays a bit like a 19 20 year old physically I'm sure at Arsenal that that's physically, that they've seen like this technical ability is there and the potential is there physically. And now it's something that he needs to deliver on. And I think it's a mixture, you know, of doing the right gym work and that kind of thing. But I think it's a mental thing more than anything else. Like being ready and confident enough and believing that you're going for a 50-50 and the guy's not going to knock you over. You can send him flying instead. Mm. And I think if Arsenal can tap into what Kai Havertz is capable of, physically alongside his football brain and his ability with the ball at his feet, then we could have a hell of a playoff.
1: I mean, you're not talking about turning him from Kai Havertz into Vinny Jones. Right, you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, that's
2: exactly what I want.
1: I want him in Hollywood. (laughs) But what you're talking about is being just maybe a bit more physically robust. Yeah, more difficult to play against. You know, uh, I remember. You know, if you played against big guys like that. they're they're difficult because they do have these long legs and long arms and pointy elbows and things yeah, like and that. It, that, that it, those can...
2: elbows should be aimed at the faces of his opponents and subtly and he shouldn't be very reluctant subtly. to you know stick his ass into him and and try and knock him over um, sure yeah exactly that kind of thing which I think is something that the the person we're probably about to speak about next uh, excels in.
1: Yes, well let's let's go there then because I think we have um, we have talked Havertz and of course we do have a a Patreon podcast as well for people to listen to about Kai Havertz. I mean, hats off to the Arsenal um, crew who went to Spain to (laughs) hand him his Arsenal jersey at the wedding of Kepa Ariza Balaga.
2: I'm sorry, but do you think when they said, oh, we need someone to go to Spain, all of the arms in the office shut up volunteering oh, to oh do that. Oh, no, Ray. don't
1: send me to Spain for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they did good work. Um, Declan Rice, then, obviously has been a huge topic of conversation. Um, I'm sort of, I feel like we're in a bit of Declan Rice limbo right now. <laughs> where the existential threat of Manchester City appears to have receded into the background. We we are aware that there is probably broad acceptance um, at West Ham that this deal is the right deal. Maybe there's some fine-tuning, a couple of little bits to get done, and City reportedly have pulled out, and that leaves the way clear for Declan Rice to to sign for Arsenal. I mean, do you still have any little nagging doubts because we haven't heard anything that there isn't like uh, official West Ham? Uh, accept Arsenal bid, Declan Rice has made his commitment. He's made his mind up. We haven't had that orn bomb yet.
2: No, he's, uh, a, he's he's allergic to dogs, and he's just seen Kai Havertz' Instagram profile. And <laughs> does Declan Rice have a deal? dog?
1: I wonder. Uh, anyway. I mean, do you do you still harbour any slight anxiety over this one, or do you feel like after everything that happened over the last week, <laughs> you know, we can talk in confident terms about him arriving at Arsenal and being the club record signing and a very fundamental uh, piece to the midfield?
2: Yeah, I mean, i've I've remained relatively confident throughout. I think because the reporting's just been so strong that Declan Rice wants to sign for Arsenal. And I think in the vast majority of these cases, the the player does get what they want in that sense. Mm. Um, and I also thought that Michel Arteta would behead Edu if uh, if a deal wasn't somehow agreed. That Michel Arteta would probably, uh, after the, the level of interest was made obvious, would absolutely lose his mind, and Edu would be running for his life. <laughs> Edu and didn't Pep. Get that over the line. Edu yeah, and yeah. Pep, like yeah, him just, too.
1: <laughs> running down the street as Michel Arteta comes after them with a you know a machete or whatever. Yeah.
2: So yeah i you know there's there's obviously the tour debate about how seriously manchester city were in the talk of a bidding war but we've seen before with city as well i think with with maguire and fred at man united and and a couple of others as well they've sort of Mm. they do have their limit like they obviously don't have their limit financially but i don't know what it is i don't know if it's pr and they don't want to be seen as that club that just goes and spends 150 million because everyone's already accusing them of being that horrible awful club anyway and it would Mm-hmm. quote-unquote prove anything. I don't know. Um, I'd never thought, yeah, that if we went to the sort of 100 million, A, that West Ham would reject it and B, that City, even if they were willing to match it, would would be able to convince Rice to leave London and not be, mm. I guess, a, a crucial player, a cornerstone in the team. So, yeah, I, I've n- never been that nervous. Uh, the other day was a bit of a relief, obviously, and... <laughs> Uh, because it, because as a player, I think he's fantastic. Um, and yeah, now, that, no, there's no more. There's, there's nothing else to worry about, is there? There's nothing around the corner.
1: I mean, I'm not saying those are famous last words, but um, it, it does appear as if this is going in a very positive direction for Arsenal. And hopefully sooner rather than later, we can get some, some kind of confirmation on it. Uh, you know, I, I said this before, and I've I written about this a little bit as well, where... I absolutely think the arrival of Kai Havertz is tied to the arrival of Declan Rice. That this is not just one piece for your midfield. This is this is connected in a very fundamental way. Where you know we we talked about it before. I'm sure you know Granite Shaka at 30 years of age, Thomas Partey 30 years of age thereabouts. You know at some point you have to start thinking about the future. And I don't want to have the should we sell Granit Xhaka discussion. You know, that's not really where I'm going with this. But there comes a point where you, you say, okay, well, these guys, as good as they are, they can't be around forever. And sooner rather than later, we are going to have to think about reshaping our midfield and and maybe investing for for the future. This is, you know, again, if, if uh, Rice is confirmed... And Havertz has already confirmed two Premier League experienced 24-year-old international players for England, um, not Ireland, and Germany. And, you know, that feels like a very deliberate strategy. The, uh, The Premier League readiness of these players is an important factor, I think. You know, we've seen another club spend £100 million on a player not too long ago. Who may be extremely talented, but without that Premier League readiness has yet to demonstrate that, you know? Um, so, Rice and Havertz, people were talking about Riceado all season long, all summer long. <laughs> um, I don't know what the uh, uh, Riceverts, whatever you want to call it, it feels like this is more uh, part of Mikel Arteta's strategy.
2: Yeah, it does. Like you say, the age of our midfield it stuck out like a sore thumb last season didn't it i feel like we we were obviously part way into rebuilding the entire team and mm. the squad um and you do want experienced players as well but as you say as well at at 24 declan rice is experienced declan rice has been Has played every single game, I believe, started every single game in an England campaign that's seen them reach a Euros final and then again Mm. to World Cup quarterfinals. And Kai Havertz has scored the winner in a Champions League final. Like these aren't, these are young players, these are players with room to grow, but they're not inexperienced. It was pretty obvious this next sort of step, the next stage. If you looked at our team last season, you could pick nine of the 11 players and say in three years they could all still be starting for Arsenal. And mm. Thomas Partier and Granit Xhaka were the other two players. Uh, you sort of, it was hard to imagine that 33, 34, touching that sort of age, they would still be playing every week for the for the team compared to now. Havertz potentially Rice. We're looking at we've built an entire team that's built to last three or four seasons at least, which I think is really really exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, um, just
1: to just to put that in context, right? Here's a potential lineup. Right? Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Rice, Havertz, Odegaard, Saka, Jesus, Martinelli. The oldest player in that is going to be 26 years of age. And that's Zinchenko. I think Gabriel Jesus could be 26 as well, or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. You know? But then you've got, uh, let me just check with Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, he's 26. So then you've got some 21-year-olds. Got some 24-year-olds, you know, a couple of maybe 25-year-olds in there. And like you say, this is a team that has been, and it's, it, we'll come to this in a moment, but as well, expensively assembled. Mm-hmm. Expensively assembled over the last number of years. I thought there was an interesting line in Mikel Arteta's market interview. I don't know if you read it, but he was talking about regenerating the squad. We've had to regenerate to to bring down the average age, And then the line was something about uh, without the need for much more investment. Yeah. And I think what that said was, okay, we are going to spend substantial money now. And it's not that we're not going to spend money in the future, but we're going to spend the money in a way which gives us a squad of players and a first team which can develop grow age mature whatever way you want to call it but you know if they stay together for three or four or five years okay in that in that period of time you've got to start making plans about how you then you know uh you're you're approaching 30 year olds but but for now you've got this core of players who you're looking at and saying right we're going to have them between 24 and 26 and this is peak 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 performance years for these players
2: yeah, like this this transfer window, right? Like this spend 200 million, 250 million, whatever it's going to end up as. We don't need to do that again for Yeah. for four or five years. That's and we, the point. we won't like, be
1: able to. Yeah, we we can't. You can't keep spending in we that We can't
2: way. and at the same time if if and, and it's not, you know, to already start thinking of that, but if in 3 years William Saliba would like a new challenge or Gabriel Martinelli or any of these players, they are talented enough, but also young enough, that we will get enormous amounts of money from mm. them. Like these transfer outlays that could come in three or four years will also be partly paid for by money that we bring in for players, mm. for, for some of the players that right now, obviously, we don't want to let them go. They've signed new contracts and we're not letting them go, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. But in terms of rebuilding a team and replacing important players in a few years, as we will have to, like financially this amount of money should not need to be spent further down the line without it coming in first from sales so Mm. we've yeah we've we've spent a lot of money to build this team but as you say we've built a team that now should sustain itself for the next three or four years and if you sell a couple of them for a lot of money in three or four years you can put together half of the next team that starts to replace these players as they enter their 30s as well so Mm. i I think it's really we're obviously in a position financially where we're able to do it and that's you have to be in that position first um you know and and credit to everybody at the club for allowing it to happen and then being able to actually deliver and make it happen Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think it's really really exciting because it just shouldn't we shouldn't need to do this again at any point in the next few years. Uh, you know, additional signings should be to supplement the squad, to supplement the first team, to provide challenges, or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe you find a striker that guarantees you 30 goals a season. And because you don't have to buy three players, because you don't need to improve in that many positions, mm-hmm. maybe you've got the money to go and sign that 30-goal striker in that, that summer, you know, two or three years down the line. So, yeah, it's... The squad building, I think, is is great, and in terms of being able to look long term. And look, as as Arsenal fans, I think we're conditioned a little bit as well, not just to look at this season and how things are going to go this season, but to look two years down the line, but also want to do that and and root for a young team that's going to develop in front of our eyes too, and that's really really exciting. As you say, I think there's definitely something in that that the Havertz and and the, the Rice stills they suit each other if you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can, you can see that I think in a midfield. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, re- and I'm really, really excited to hopefully watch Declan Rice and an Arsenal shirt next season. Yeah,
1: same. And I, you know, I, I wonder how it might impact, you know, the other business that we do, the other signings we might make, you know, if you're, talking about the average age maybe when you do bring in these experienced guys you can bring in a couple of younger players who can you know sort of age into the team if, if that makes sense um i mean the other thing i was gonna just sort of touch on when it comes to this and when it comes to this spending and when it comes to how we've built this squad i think it makes some decisions for you when it comes to selling right Mm. So everyone's really excited about the fact that we are going to spend £100 million on a player. And, uh, you know, it is an incredible thing that Arsenal are spending that much money on one player. You know, I never really thought we would be that club. And I Mm. think, you know, a real testament to how far we've come in the last two years is, is the fact that we can actually Go and get a player like Declan Rice of that profile, because you know, two years ago I would have said no way.
2: What were you going to say? And there? just how the ambition has changed, right? yes. Like at, Arsenal, two years ago and four years ago and ten years ago would have cut corners, and and I don't mean like you know in a like a fraudulent kind of way, sure. but we would have looked for the next Declan Rice, and we wouldn't have been able to compete financially. Mm-hmm. We also wouldn't have even tried. And I think it is just pure. Unadulterated ambition. Uh, I, you know, like as you can probably imagine, uh, that you know, some of the work that I do for the site, and Mm. I've looked through a lot of stats and data and numbers the last month or two, trying to find just for my own personal interest. Trying to find, is there anyone out there if we can't get Declan Rice? Like, is there anyone in France or in Germany or in Spain who's kind of doing all the things that he can do on a football pitch? Doesn't exist. Like, in terms of defensive midfielders in in any of Europe's top leagues, there isn't one. There isn't one that's doing all the things that Declan Rice can do on a football pitch, defensively, against the ball, with the ball as well. And if they've decided they want Declan Rice, like, they're there isn't a cheap version of that or i mean there are cheap versions but you would very much be getting what you're paying for uh you know instead they've signed a 24 year old or they're on the verge of signing a 24 year old who can do all of those things to a a top top level who has already captained a club to a European trophy and played for his country at, you know, right into the final stages of an international tournament. And it just in a way that I've never recognized from Arsenal before, just screams pure ambition and and hunger and desire to be at the very, very top of the game. Get the best player for that position. I
1: mean, even our even some of our biggest players, some of our best ever players have been you know someone like Thierry Henry who who became basically the best player in the world even if that wasn't recognized was not signed as the best player in the world in that position when he came to Arsenal, right? So, so a lot of the players that we've had who developed into really good players and world class players have been, in some ways, in some ways, projects. I mean, does that make you more comfortable with the outlay of a hundred million pounds or more than a hundred million pounds potentially? A hundred million plus five in add-ons, if that's you know what what it ends up being, um, you know, because. It is huge. It's just a massive, <laughs> massive amount of of money. And, you know, every transfer is a gamble and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, based on what you've looked at then and, and what you think Declan Rice can bring to this team, does that make you more comfortable that not only are Arsenal spending this money, but they're spending this money on a player who is being brought in with... I guess you would say a very strategic vision um, as part of how this team then develops to to the next level. Like we, we were at a, a very, very good level last season. You imagine that this is the signing that they're making because they think it can take you to a different level, not him mm-hmm. just on his own. Of course, it's a team game, all the rest of it. But as you said earlier, you know, the technical level goes up and up and up and up you know does that does that make you feel more okay with that kind of outlay or do you worry about spending that much money um even if you know for many years that this was the sort of transfer fee that was the the sole preserve of you know the very very richest clubs in in football
2: uh i like i think it's it's mind bending when you just hear the numbers involved it like it immediately you're sort of you know what the fuck uh, mm. Imagine you'd been told a few years ago that Arsenal would spend 100 million pounds on a player. You'd think that Raúl Sanjay had lost his mind. Um, you know, so I think it's obviously it's a there's an element of concern. But I think you know if you if you want the best players, you have to pay the biggest amount of money. And I think the players that are like that are like Declan Rice that are as good as Declan Rice that play in his position, play for Manchester City or Real Madrid already, basically. Mm. So good luck getting any of them. And if you want to compete with Manchester City and Real Madrid, you need players that are as good as the players they have. Uh, you know, I think if... Mm. What's the difference? You know, if we'd have 80 and then you go to 90 million and you'd sort of reach a point where, obviously you have to have a, a limit. You, you can't just go and pay anything for someone. But I think if you're already willing to to go to 80, 85, 90 million, that mm. jump to hundred. I don't think it's huge. And for a player, you know, who, as I say, I think is, is better than anything we have in midfield right now. I think adds like, if I'm thinking of how good we were last season, and again, like you said, how good we were last season. Another thing that smacks of ambition, because a lot of teams and a lot of clubs and a lot of managers would be happy with last season and try and add a couple of pieces and not break it up Mm. too much. I think Uh, Arsenal have just slammed their foot down on the pedal this summer and taken advantage of the position we've put ourselves in. Maybe looking at like what happened at Liverpool last summer and they were close, really close to a quadruple and then they signed Darwin Nunes but and just as a sort of direct replacement for Sadio Mane uh, and also for enormous amounts of money. Mm. They didn't do much else. I think Arsenal have maybe looked at that and thought, no, we're, like, we're this close to Man City and if you stand still for a second, they'll be out of sight. We have to keep yeah. pushing. Uh, and in terms of the risk of the fee as well, I think, you know, because I've just mentioned Darwin Nunes at Liverpool and, and he obviously had a patchy first season, I think it'd probably be a little bit generous towards him. Mm. I think there is something nowadays, especially in sort of that Premier League proven tag. I think the Premier League is so much more technically and physically demanding and competitive compared to the other big players. Leagues. I think you watch the games in the Premier League the last few years. Obviously, it's always been Man City and Liverpool when they play each other. And the only time you see anything like it anywhere else on the continent is when you watch like a Champions League semi final. It's like every game, the only games that had that level of quality. But in the Premier League, you've got Man City and you've got Liverpool and you've got Arsenal and you've got the money Chelsea have spent if they can put the team together in the right way. And Man United are probably only a couple of pieces away from knocking on that door as well. And Newcastle will be too. And then you think the quality of all of those matchups ups are sort of on par with Champions League semi-finals. Mm. I, then I think there's a lot of value in going for Premier League proven players now who, are, who have done it consistently. And at 24, Declan Rice has already done it for four or five seasons on the bounce in the Premier League, and mm-hmm. obviously, I think people maybe will look at West Ham this season and say spending one hundred million on a player who was so great that he managed to drag his team to fourteenth but the two seasons before that West Ham finished above us in one of them mm-hmm. they were right behind man united I think in in fifth uh or in sixth, sorry, the last season. This season has been a bit of a blip for them in the league. But Declan Rice has been like the standout player for a team that's been in the top seven or eight teams in the Premier League for the last two years. And then this year won a trophy on top.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is. uh, Fingers crossed. Uh, It's just such a big statement as a signing as well. It's a big statement to have uh, beaten off Manchester City. Um, Those things are important. You know, I think... James made the point on the Arscast Extra, like if if Declan Rice had chosen to go to Manchester City, if that had worked, everybody could understand why. Everybody could probably compartmentalize that, but the blow it would have been to Arsenal and the ambition of the club would have been huge. So it it is amazing. I'm just seeing a tweet here from Fabrizio Romano who says he understands that Arsenal and Ajax are now entering the final stages of of talks for yurian timber. I don't know if it's jurian or yurian. Um deal progressing after a 45 uh, million uh, euro bid was submitted on Monday. Parties now getting closer but still some points to be discussed. Um an exciting player someone to come in on that right-hand side. Discussions about him can wait for another day, but I'm just sort of want to frame that in the in the next question because 100 million on Declan Rice, 60 million on Kai Havertz, 40 million pounds, might be just over 40 million pounds for Uri Timber. That's 200 million pounds. And we've talked about the reasons why Arsenal have spent this money and how they've spent this money and put this team together that can live together, develop together, all the rest of it. Are there consequences For that, when it comes to some of the other decisions that you have to make in a summer. And the one I'm thinking of is Flo Balagoon, where I think Mm. ordinarily, if a guy that's come through your academy is sent out on loan, he goes to a a French club, goes to Liga, or goes to any club and scores whatever, 27 goals, whatever it is, one of the top scorers in that division, ordinarily, you would say that that guy has done everything he can to get a chance at this football club. That said, we have pushed really hard to get a top midfielder in, another left eight, we're bringing in another right back. Like, do the financial outlays inform the decisions that you make when it comes to somebody like Balagoon that, strike while the iron is hot or he's hot property and all the rest of it that you are in some ways not forced to cash in but the financial reality of what you have spent has to in some way be offset by sales and we all know there are players Arsenal would like to sell but there's probably only one player at Arsenal right now who is attracting really serious interest because of what they've done last season you know we've got good players who could go for reasonable fees and all the rest of it but there's probably one player who's available in inverted commas on the market who a lot of clubs will look at and go yeah we could have a go at that and we can probably get him because we know arsenal needs some money
2: yeah I think I think his position makes the decision for Arsenal as well. To be honest, like the the reports that he wants guaranteed first team football and and lots of it. Mm. I don't know if that's a negotiating position or not. It, if it is, then it's probably not very helpful for us. Uh, if it's not, then arsenal can't guarantee someone who's had one good season scoring a few goals in the french league and it's more than a few goals mm. uh, but you know you look at the level of the french league and alex lacazette scored a lot of goals this season as well uh, you know i think then to expect follower and balogun to come into an arsenal side and sort of fire a title charge in the premier league mm. is a whole different challenge you know you, you, what then you don't play gabriel jesus who i think for the first half of the season most people would have agreed was probably our player of the season uh, before his injury at the mm-hmm. World Cup. Uh, you know, do you not play him? Do you shove him out of position so you can play Fuller and Balogun who scored his goals playing really well for for home last season, but playing in a team that plays a completely different style to Arsenal? Does he even fit if he comes into the team? I think, you know, we've seen as well, and I don't think necessarily that, that his career will go the same way. Um, he's young and he's just had his first full top flight season he's done brilliantly and i think he'll more than like more than likely than not go on to have a really really good career Mm. but we've seen we've said no to the money before for a player like ainsley maitland niles and lived to regret it Uh, and if we've got a this need to bring money in and be this player who has never done anything in the premier league or arsenal as yet and we could get 30 Forty million for him, then I think it becomes very, very difficult to say no. Especially as you said, because there are no other real candidates in the squad. I think injuries have probably put potential suitors off of Kieran Tierney at, at the price that we'd probably like to sell him for. Other positions, the, the squad isn't enormous. You know, Granite Jackers over thirty, and, and obviously not going to bring in a huge fee. Thomas Party will wait and see what happens if anything materializes with. Saudi Arabia or not. Mm. But in terms of bringing a, a big fee in, the only player that we're willing to let go that's likely to bring in a big fee is probably Foller and Balogun. Because yeah. otherwise you're probably talking about selling a Smith Row or something, which the club have already ruled out this summer. Um and, and obviously want to add him back into the squad now, he's fully fit again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is it is gonna be interesting to see what happens and what decisions they make and, and- I I do think as much as you can um praise and laud the ambition and and the backing of the owners who have facilitated the spending they haven't you know provided the money but they have facilitated the 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 cash flow to make these deals happen you do have to also accept the fact that there might have to be a sale or two that ordinarily you might not want to make and you would like to hang on to a player, maybe give him a few chances here and there. But uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be very, very interesting to see. Um, I think they've they they they've been looking to get these three deals done, and then it wouldn't surprise me if the next few weeks were about moving players on rather than bringing any more players in, and then towards the end of the window again, we might see a little flurry of mm-hmm. activity. So so let's see. Um, The other piece of good news I guess is the uh, the contract agreement with Ethan Nguaneri who uh, became the youngest player in Premier League history when he came on last season against Brentford a lot of chat about you know, his potential departure because he was on schoolboy terms and couldn't sign pro terms and uh, other clubs were circling Manchester City uh, I believe Chelsea there was a lot of talk last week how he was about to sign for Chelsea um, Arsenal have got him tied down it seems according to David Ornstein uh, he'll get professional terms when he turns 17 next March how invested do you get in in cases like this because you know for me you want to keep your best young players we have seen uh, through the last couple of years, how valuable the academy has been to Arsenal. When people talk about the best young players around, they talk about him as one of those. Um, But at the same time, you know, if a guy who's 16 decides he wants to leave and go somewhere else, you know, you, you, I, I personally find it hard to get too exercised about that because this is a guy who, you know, potentially might not be a first team player for another four years, you know, at which point he'll be 20 and we'd be talking about him as a fairly raw young player probably i don't know maybe he's the next big asset exactly. exactly maybe and i've got some you know humble pie to eat, at which point <laughs> I, I will do that but you know i think the decision to give him his debut was part of the process of convincing him that yeah. there was a pathway to to first team football here look how we value you this might be a bit of a gesture but what a fucking gesture! At the same time, right? You're 15 years of age and you're playing in the first team for Arsenal in the Premier League. Um, they've clearly wanted to get this guy, uh, this young man, tied down, and now looks like they've they've done that.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you say, with the gesture, uh, Brentford, this has obviously been on their minds. I mm. think since what September last year was that game. I think it's it's obviously good news. It's better news than him leaving, but like you say i think it's if he were to leave he's a long way many steps and many things going right and and very few things going wrong before we'll see ethan and winari for any premier league club Mm. playing regular football you know you think of the the great players that have come through the arsenal academy or, or the ones that have at least at a young age, a very young age has started to make good on all of their potential and their promise. And you think of maybe Ashley Cole and Jack Wilshere. And even there, you know, it's a long process. loan spells and reserve games and slowly breaking into the team and League Cup and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think H- um, Hector Bellerin and-, and Serge Gnabry maybe had a slightly quicker path into the their first team breakthroughs because of the position the club were in at the time. I think it becomes a lot harder again when you're then competing for titles and you want sure. to go far in the Champions League to give these players minutes. And yeah, we'll see. Ces Fabregas obviously comes to mind, but was also very much the exception, I think, uh, in in terms not just at Arsenal but pretty much mm. ever in Premier League history yeah, yeah. as a player who could come in as young as he did and play as well as he did and <laughs> replace Patrick Vieira <laughs> uh, at the age of seventeen. Um, yeah, like it doesn't happen; it doesn't exist. Uh, he he was unique, and I'm sure, like you say, if we see. Ethan and Winari, it will be two or three years from now, but it's, obviously it's better to keep these players than, than to lose them. And and hopefully we see, it's always exciting to see flashes of them in, in League Cup games and the like. So hopefully we see plenty of that in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, for sure. And maybe there was a sort of uh, salutary tale, you know, someone like Omari Hutchinson, who was beginning mm-hmm. to make his way onto the bench at Arsenal in, in, uh, with some frequency, albeit... You know, because we were basically running out of players, you know, who went to Chelsea and then, you know, rocked up at a club that bought about 15 players at play in his position, you know, so uh, it is a difficult one. But I suppose one of the things that you can sell to a young player as well, even when you are a club that's on the up and hopefully, um, hopefully competing for titles and all the rest of it, that as that level increases and it becomes increasingly more difficult for a young player to come from the academy and make their breakthrough into the first team because the demands are so high. It means you've got to be ready at a a really young age. The other thing that you could say to that young player is that once you start to get involved in and around the first team, even if it's only League Cup games, even if you're just training with them, if you don't make the grade, it's it's no slight on you because you haven't been able to get into a team that is really, really good. But what it gives you is a, an incredible grounding to go and bring your talent elsewhere and forge a good career at another club. And maybe you take a step backwards to take an, a step forwards.
2: Maybe. And like it's just important to keep these players, right? Because <laughs> one day there will be another Cesc Fabregas for someone Mm. and if he's on our books and at 15 16 decides that actually the Chelsea bid or the Manchester City contract is more attractive and then we find out two years down the line that he was actually the one who at 17 had the ability to break into the first team and play every week then we're going to be furious Mm. so you know it's it's up to the club to to rate these players to guide their development and I I think we've done a pretty good job uh, you know, so far with the, I mean, the last few years, Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukai, Osaka, the players that have come through, mm-hmm. keeping those players as well is is only going to help and, and giving them the opportunity is only going to help convince players to stay. And as you say, I think Arsenal, and especially with, since Perma Saka took over, the there's been a real focus on it's not, about the player's career at Arsenal, but about the player's career and life, possibly mm. beyond Arsenal as well. And I'm sure that that message is, is also said loud and clear.
1: Yeah, sort of holistic view to how you develop, you know, young players and young men and prepare them for... You know, life and the potential disappointments that football brings, as well as the the incredible rewards. Uh, all in all, though, good news. It's been a, a pretty good news week for Arsenal. Um, keeping just everything crossed that it continues that way. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for your time, Louis. Great to talk to you, and we'll uh, we'll chat soon.
2: Thank you, Andrew.
1: Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to thirty-six percent better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort, with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a one-dollar-a-month trial period at Shopify.com/arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/arsblog now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter. He is at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. I did say at the start of this that the reason I was putting it out on Thursday was because things move at a very quick pace these days. Between the time that I um, read out that tweet from Fabrizio Romano about Yuri and Timber to Lewis, a further report has come out from a Dutch outlet De Telegraph, which says that Arsenal have agreed a fee with Ajax for Timber, 42 million euros, plus a potential 5 million euros in add-ons. So even in the course of the conversation, things have moved. It looks like Timber, uh, medical aside now, that's all that's left to do, will become an Arsenal player. So that's... Interesting news, good news, obviously, and uh, it adds some nice quality and depth. We will talk about him in a bit more depth, maybe on Monday in the Arscast Extra with James. We're recording on Monday evening. But as I said, we will be doing a podcast for every player we sign. You can join myself and Phil Costa over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash. Arse blog, as soon as that deal is official you will get your podcast right i'm gonna leave it there for now have a great weekend whatever you're up to Arscast cast extra on monday but please do note monday evening we won't be recording until then we'll cover all the uh all the news that has happened between now and then on monday so join myself and james for that for now take it easy and we will catch you on the next one until then cheers bye bye
3: Welcome back to Holy God FM and we've had a lot of feedback on that last item just to make it clear that is a mortal sin none of you should ever do it but yes it can be quite funny if the context is right I'll say no more We have an email here from someone who calls themselves Edu, or Edu. and they say Dear Holy God FM I hope you can help I have become addicted to shopping. I get a real buzz every time I go and buy something new, to the point where I'm incentivising the people selling by offering them add ons. Just the other day, I went to buy some meat for the barbecue, and the butcher told me that'll be twenty two ninety five, and I said. I'll give you 19 now, but another £5 pounds if I find the meat particularly delicious. It was a tempting offer, and he told me, in no uncertain terms, to get out of his shop. Why couldn't I just pay the normal price? My family went hungry that evening, and now they're not speaking to me. Do you have any advice? Well, I do or Edo, the short answer is no. I don't. And now it's time to get on with the music. This is a classic from the 80s, posing that time-old question. What is the colour of money? Don't tell me you think it's green because me. I know. It's red.